Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, the epistle of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 4. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rob began a new sermon series um, three weeks ago called Words of Life. The idea behind it uh, was the idea of life verses and how many of us will find scripture that kind of informs our lives, right? Um, verses that we can live by, things that... Um, just mean a little bit more to us. Not that all of scripture is not important because obviously it very much is so, but sometimes things stand out to us more than other things. Um, so he asked me to preach today since he was going to be out of town, and he said, well, what do you want to preach on? And he gave me a few to choose from. And I said, no, <laughs> those aren't my life verses. <laughs> so I said, hands down, Ephesians 1, 4. Uh, that is the one that resonate, resonates with me so very strongly, uh, and that I think just informs my life and uh, the way that I do ministry as well. Um, how did I come to find this one, um, or... How did it come to resonate with me so strongly? I think really um, my time as a youth pastor here has been the reason. Uh, I work with young people. Um, I, I do children now also, but primarily when I was working with youth, you know, young people are growing into who they're meant to be. Um, but it's not a straight line by any means. There's struggle in the path to figure out who you are, who you are going to be, who God wants you to be, um, all while trying to maintain who your parents think you're supposed to be. Um, of course, we all want what's best and what God has planned for you, but uh, it's just, it's a hard path. It's a hard journey. And so, you know, I've watched teenagers fall down. I've watched them question themselves. I've watched them take wrong paths, hang out with the wrong people, and doubt themselves. And for me, I think the hardest part of being a youth pastor is watching young people doubt themselves because they have so much ahead of them, so much growth still to do, so much that they're learning. And so um, as in the process of being a youth pastor and working with young people, um, I found that this verse was really good at encouraging them. I used this verse to encourage them uh, in growth, in really standing true to who they are and having faith in who they're becoming and to remind them whose they are, right? Because that's the most important. Who do you belong to? And so in the process of all of this, Ephesians 1-4 has become my mantra as well. I am chosen. I belong to God. So Rob has spoken in the past about um, the kind of self-help revolution that took place uh, really strongly in the early 90s. And he even referenced it at the Ash Wednesday service. To some degree, if you were there, he talked about, you know, that we're in the richest, one of the richest times in history, yet the most depressed, right? We want to we be happy, but we're not happy. And 
you know, I grew up, really my formative years were during this self-help revolution. So I kind of, um, I feel what he's saying. Um, when I was in high school, well, I don't know if any of you watch Saturday Night Live anymore, but Saturday Night Live was pretty huge when I was in high school. Um, probably shouldn't have been watching it, but I, my friends were. Um, so he might remember Stuart Smalley from SNL. Y'all remember Stuart Smalley? Okay, so he's a character from SNL, and he had a mock self-help show called Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. And when I think about Ephesians 1-4, and then I think about what the world has to offer in kind of in place of that, this is the phrase that I think of. He says, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Now, just saying affirmations doesn't make them so. It doesn't make them true. Just saying it. Just relying on myself is not always the best because I don't know everything, right? I can try new things, but there are indeed things that I just can't do. And there are definitely people who don't like me. Not that that makes me happy, but not, not everybody likes everybody, right? Because people just conflict, and that's okay. But when you're a young person, it doesn't feel okay. You want to be the best. You want to be good enough. You want to be smart enough, and you want everyone to like you. So having been through all of that myself as a teenager and coming out on the other side, I, know, I now know that embracing Ephesians 1-4 is much healthier for growth than anything any self-help guru has ever said and any self-help lingo I can repeat to myself while looking in the mirror. Okay, I won't call you out, but how many of you looked in the mirror? You look and you're like, I can do this. I can do this. I know I can do it. I'm, I'm smart. I'm good. I got this. I'm going to be the best. You know, you, you try to just pump yourself up, build yourself up. But it, that can only take you so far because you're, you're just pumping yourself up. And where our strength comes from, where our wholeness comes from, is not from ourselves in any just phrase that you can throw at yourself. It comes from God because you are chosen by God. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And aside from the personal proclivity for this, my personal proclivity for this verse, across the board, Ephesians 1.4 also speaks to what we believe as Presbyterians, as Reformed Christians. Um, in it, we find some of the essential tenets or beliefs of our faith. Now, if I start talking theology, some of you might be like, whoa, I don't know about that. And it can, you know, it can kind of bog you down. But I'm here to tell you that this verse has so much good theology that informs our lives in this one little verse. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus primarily to help them grow in their spiritual knowledge of God and the church. They weren't necessarily doing anything wrong that he needed to call them out on. He wrote to teach them about some of the most important foundational aspects of our faith, without which we would falter in this crazy world that causes us to doubt ourselves so readily, right? This world, it can get us down, but when we remain firm in the foundational aspects of our faith, 
the foundational ones, the most important ones, we can stand steady. So let's take a look at the verse before us. The first thing it says, even as he chose us in him, even as God chose us in Christ, it reminds us that we are chosen. It doesn't remind us. It just tells us we're chosen. What does that mean to be chosen? It means that we're selected. We're marked for something. We're elected. So the essential tenet that I find in this very short part of this very small verse is the essential tenet of election. Election means very simply that those who have come to a saving faith in Christ have done so because God has claimed them as his own and has firmly grasped them in the palm of his hand. You are his. You belong to God. He holds on to you because he chose you. Now, when you think of choosing in the world, it's very different. You might be, politicians might be elected to an office, but they're elect, they're done, it's done so because of the merits that they have. Uh, the most important thing I think of when I think of choosing, though, especially when I'm thinking of young people, is being chosen for a team. How many of you have ever been uh, in school or maybe at a camp and they say, okay, well, your team captain, your team captain, we're going to go back and forth and choose our team. Now, how many of you have been chosen last? Yeah. And how does that feel? Not, not great. Sometimes you don't care. But most of the time, it doesn't feel great to be chosen last. You're standing there thinking, pick, pick me, pick me next, pick me next, because you don't want to be the last person chosen. Now, at youth group, we don't do that. Um, we made a conscious decision not to do that kind of thing. So we count off, and they're stuck with whatever number we give them. It's random, because I don't ever want anybody at youth group to feel like they were not picked. Because nobody likes to feel that way. But when it comes to being children of God, when it comes to our relationship with God, you have been chosen, not last. You've just been chosen. You have already made the cut. Knowing that we have been chosen means that you don't need to be afraid of anything else in this world because there's nothing in all creation that can strip us from God's grasp. Now, the second part of the verse goes like this. Before the foundation of the world. So to me, the first one is what? We've been chosen. Now when? When were you chosen? Before the foundation of the world. You weren't chosen when you were conceived or when you were born. God didn't choose you yesterday. God didn't choose you today. And you're not even chosen for what you're going to do in the future. <clears throat> You were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. To me, this is utterly profound. God has planned us from the very beginning. He planned you from the start of all of it. Each and every one of you. He planned you. He planned our children. He planned the person sitting next to you, 
Not one of us is a mistake. We all belong. I think that's my favorite part. I think about that, especially when I think about my children. Because so many things are just so crazy in this world. To know of that assurance is very powerful. To know that he loved us from the beginning of the world. The essential tenet that we hear in this is a hint at predestination. Now, I don't want to cheat by using two verses, but I'm going to, because verse 5 directly addresses this idea when Paul states that we have been predestined or chosen from the beginning, from before the world to be adopted into God's family. Before the beginning of the world, he has chosen us for adoption predestined us. Now, all of that is wrapped up in God's sovereignty, knowing that God is the author and the authority of all, that he is free to do as he pleases because he created it all, and God's providence, knowing that God continues to be active in our lives because he didn't choose us to be puppets in this, or to be placed in this world to do whatever we wanted. He didn't choose us to be puppets either. He chose us because he loves us and wanted a relationship with us. He predestined us to have a relationship with him. It reminds us that God has taken the initiative in giving us these gifts, that he alone is Lord, and it is an assurance of God's love for us. Which leads us to the final part of the verse. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Because of God's great love, we are made holy and blameless. Conferred in Christ by God's grace. The essential tenet here is justification. To justify simply means to put right or to vindicate. We experience justifying grace when we are restored to a right relationship with God. This does not happen by our own effort, but through God's favor, revealed in Jesus Christ, in the death of Christ on the cross. We experience this um, when we know that even though we sin, we are forgiven. As Reformed believers, we know that as sinners, we are totally depraved. That's a big Reformed phrase for you. We are totally depraved and unable to do good apart from our Savior, Jesus Christ. But we don't remain focused on that, just as we do not remain focused on Jesus on the cross because he came down off of that cross, having sacrificed himself for us and making us right with God and then rising to new life as we too will be raised to eternal life with him. A brief statement of faith from our book of confession says, Jesus was crucified, suffering the depths of human pain and giving his life for the sins of the world. God raised this Jesus from the dead, vindicating his sinless life, breaking the power of sin and evil, delivering us from death to life eternal. Because we are chosen in him, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for us in God's great love, a love that he had for us from the day he predestined us to be a part of his family, even before the foundation of the world. 
we have assurance in this life, not just in the life beyond. Because having been chosen then and not in our own lifetimes means that you were not chosen when you did good. You were not chosen when you accepted Christ into your life. You were not chosen because of anything other than because God wanted you, because God loves you. Jack Rogers explains it this way. He's a, he was a pastor in California. He says, some relationships are built on merit. For example, a foot player is a welcome member of the team only as long as he can do the job better than anyone else. He merits his place by his athletic ability. Some relationships are built on need. When my car won't start, I build a relationship with a mechanic, like Jimmy. Some relationships are based on appeal, such as when a woman and a man find each other appealing. None of these are relationships based on grace, although all may give evidence of grace at one time or another. In stark contrast, God relates to us not on the basis of our ability or of need or of appeal, but on the basis of God's love for us. What we can do for God has no influence on the relationship at all. Our relationship with God is based purely on God's desire to be in relationship with us. Thus, God determines to make our relationship right with him, not because we have done anything to deserve it, but because that's who God is. You have been chosen to be in a right relationship with God. Now, youth and young adults, as teens, we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another. We're trying to live up to expectations, be all that we can be in the world, fit in wherever we can, and still be a child at the same time. Because, let's face it, we're, we haven't grown up and we're not ready to grow up quite yet. I remember a time in my life when I wanted to fit in middle school and this girl I knew was having a birthday party and she says, you know, okay, Liz, we're going to have a limo, a big old stretch limo is coming to the school to pick us up, take us somewhere fun. I don't remember now where the somewhere fun was because I didn't get to go. She invited me, super excited, so we rush out. The limo picked us up where the bus is thankfully parked. I showed up and she says, oh, I invited one too many people. Sorry. Luckily, my bus was still there, so I had to hightail it to get on my bus and go home and be like, Mom, sorry, I'm home, not going to this party. For a teenager, that is devastating, right? I mean, you're about to take this. I got invited. Sometimes you're not even invited. I got invited, and then the rug's ripped out from under you. You didn't make the cut. So yes, as teenagers, it's hard because I think that happens more than anything else. I think that one um, is just devastating for teenagers, wanting to fit in, wanting to be chosen, to participate and be in others' lives. Now let's look at adults. As adults, guess what? We're constantly comparing ourselves to one another, trying to live up to expectations, to be all that we can be in the world, fit in wherever we can, and to find joy in our lives, all while we're doing all of that. 
I can remember applying for a job that I thought I would be perfect for. It was right up my alley. I was going to serve God. I was going to be a red shirt at work camp. And when I say I was an adult, I'm going to use that term loosely. <laughs> by age, I was an adult, but it was not recent by any means. But I wanted to be a red shirt. You know, I had gone to all these work camps, the same work camps that we're taking our youth to, and I was so excited. But I didn't make the cut. Here I was, wanted to be a pastor, wanted to serve God, but I was not chosen for the job. That was devastating. Young or old, it doesn't really change as much as we think it does. Now, if you don't care about all that stuff and you know the secret, please let the rest of us in on it uh, because um, it's hard, right? But what has happened to you in your life that has caused you to doubt yourself, to doubt who you were and where you thought you were going? What caused you to take a different path than you thought God had planned for you. It's hard because we all have experienced those times, whether we were teenagers or adults, um, young or old, it, didn't, it doesn't matter. We have times of doubt. Are you good enough? Well, it depends on what you're trying to do, right? We're not, I mean, I can't reach something on the top shelf. I will never be able to reach something on the top shelf. It's not possible. I need a ladder. Cannot do it myself, okay? I probably can't play football. I can barely breathe on my own just walking across the parking lot. Okay, so sports is out for me. Not good enough at that. Are you smart enough? Not always. We all have room to learn and to grow, to get more knowledge, to learn how to acquire that knowledge, right? We're not always smart enough at what we're trying to do. That's okay, right? That's where the growth comes. Do people like you? Probably not everyone. I like you, but there might be somebody who doesn't like you, and that's okay. If there's any verse from Scripture to inform your life, I really truly think it's this one. It has all this rich theology but it's not theology of a book. It's not the theology of a book that you're like, hey, those are some big words. Great, check that off. I learned it. It's the theology of life and how God relates to us. To me, that is so very important. And while I knew the truth that's expressed in this one very simple yet very complex verse, I wish I had embraced it more fully when I was younger. Maybe things would have been a little bit easier and I would have been a little bit more accepting of myself. I know I'm not alone in this. And I had a really good life, so don't let me make, I had lots of friends, don't make me, I don't want you to think that I was, you know, sad all the time. But we all have those times in our life where we get down. And if I had known this, I wouldn't have felt so alone. People experience more depression in these times, these times that Rob says are the richest times in history, because we're told to find our worth in more money, more stuff, more friends, more, more, more. Are things still going to upset you and hurt your feelings? Sure, because we're human. The person hurting us is human. We're all human. Are you still going to wish you could do something better? Of course. 
that's where you go and tackle it and just keep trying. Are you still going to doubt yourself some? Unfortunately, yes, that's the case too. But then the difference is you can brush it off rather than let it keep you down. You smile again and you get back up because you know whose you are. You know you made the only cut that matters. My worth was never found in middle school friends or new jobs. Your worth is not found in your career or whether everyone likes you or whatever thing in this world has made you doubt yourself. Your worth is found in the fact that you belong to the one who created you and chose you before the foundation of the world. Your worth is found in the fact that God in Christ has raised you up out of your sin, out of your total depravity, to even have the chance to be good, to know real, true, agape love, and to grow in your relationship with him so that you can be holy and blameless in love. You have been set apart. You have been chosen. To God be all the glory. Amen.